0: Awesome. Thank you, guys. I'm really happy to be here. I'm not writing a book. I've been married for under a month. Uh, the one thing I have learned, though, is I'm not nearly uh, right as much as I thought I used to be. So It's incredible. Like, when you live by yourself, you're just always right. And your way of doing things is the way of doing things. And I got married, and I said, why do you do this? And why do you do this? Said, you want to do it? You can do it. You really can. So I'm realizing now that uh, maybe I'm not as perfect as I once thought I was. So it's a good thing. It's humbling. But I love uh, my wife. It's weird. I didn't even get used to calling her my fiance. I was still calling her my girlfriend, and then we got married, and then I was still saying girlfriend and realized that 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 needed to stop. So, yeah, uh, the people at work called me on it. But uh, my name is Mike. Uh, My wife's sitting up here in the front row, Olivia. If we haven't met you yet, I'm sorry. Um, I'd really like to. That's sincere. I really would. Um, We've been working with Lakehouse for over a year now, I think. We came in with Jared. I think a lot of you guys got to meet him. Um, and then took over as youth pastors about a month ago. So um, my heart, just real fast, a little bit about me. I'm 29. Um, I know, hopefully I don't look like that, but every time I get a haircut, I'm seeing more gray hairs. So it's all right. I'm getting used to it. Um, but uh, I got saved when I was about 23 years old, um, and it was really early on after getting saved that God kind of spoke to me and said, you know, you'll, you'll be a youth pastor. And uh, because of my upbringing, no one in my family was Christian. Um, I had a lot of kind of halfway Catholics, um, but they weren't even practicing that for uh, for a long, long time. It had been so. Uh, I didn't even know that pastoring was a job. Uh, I really didn't. I didn't know anything about uh, about Christianity. Um, church to me was was going on Sundays, sitting in a Catholic church and listening to a guy, you know, in a monotone voice read a few scriptures, amen, wave some smelly stuff around, and then we were all going. So I was really really amazed when I found a, uh, when I found a, when I did find God when I started going to. Uh, church that emphasized uh, relationship and not just showing up in, in you know, sin and going to hell and trying to do uh, everything right and do nothing wrong and stuff like that. So, um, but God spoke to me, so you're going to be a youth pastor. And I had a, a person in my college and career group uh, that I went to out in California where I'm from, and he said, you know, he sat down with me he said, I really believe that's God. He said, all the things you've been through in your life, I've seen divorce, I've seen... Uh, you know, just horrible relationships. I've had friends that have had abortions, um, all kinds of, of things that you go through. Uh, I was dependent on alcohol for a short time uh, to get over depression and things like that. Overcame all of that the second I got saved. It was miraculous. Amen. Absolutely. Um, I used to have people tell me to say, "You know, you've got every excuse in the book to use drugs, but you don't." And that's that's crazy. I know now that it was God protecting my life and preparing me for this season. So. But the point is, he, he told me, this pastor, he told me, he said, you know, I can relate to people and I can sympathize and I can say, I'm sorry and I hear you. You can say, I understand, I've been there. Let me show you how to get out of it. And that really stuck with me. And uh, I carry that with me every week when I prepare, every Wednesday when I come, is that, you know, I, I really feel for, for young people. I really have a heart for teenagers. I know what they've gone through because I've gone through it. And I know what they can do because I'm doing it. Um, I never thought in a million years that I'd stand up here and be speaking about God in front of all of you, um, much less praying in my spare time or being a pastor, going to Bible college. Um, all of these things that I've done in the last couple years uh, are just incredible. So with that, that's just a little bit about me. Um, we have a great time on Wednesday. If you've got young people, live next door to young people, work with young people. Uh, I don't know, if there is a young person across the street run across, tell them, hey, my church, Lake House, we have a youth group, and uh, we need you to be there. So um, I would love that. I'd love to pack out the room and get rid of the chairs uh, and just make everyone stand. That'd be fine for me. So uh, invite them. We love youth group. We've got a lot of uh, great leaders. We really do. The people, um, your kids and the teenagers that we have coming are just are incredible. They really are. Um, I've been to a, quite a few youth groups and seen uh quite a few different examples in different churches and this is uh, the healthiest youth group, the healthiest church that I've seen uh, in a very, very long time and I'm not just saying that. Um, all of our team has, has uh, kind of professed the same exact thing, the same sentiment so this is a great place to be. I wanted to talk to you guys today about a little bit of what, about what's on my heart and that's kind of the low expectations that our society has on teenagers um, and kind of hopefully wrap that up with a few ways that we can change our perspective. Uh, Title the message, Break the Rope, uh, the untapped potential of today's youth. Um, absolutely. There's, uh, I want to start out by a story, and I'll kind of tie this in later on, but it's about elephants. Uh, I thought this... I know, who doesn't love elephants? I tried to look for a picture, and I just saw like little cartoon ones of pink elephants, and that didn't match, so no pictures. Uh, but elephants, I was looking and reading about them and then I started watching YouTube and that added on, you know, about an hour of my prep time because I get sidetracked. But, um, I found a lot of cool videos on elephants if you want to search YouTube. But, uh, elephants in Asia particularly, they're still used today, uh, for a lot of heavy lifting, uh, construction, logging, and things like that. They do stuff that, uh, you know, they're in the hills and the mountains of, uh, undeveloped countries where heavy machinery and stuff just can't get, um, huge, powerful an, uh, animals. They're celebrated in India still to this day with festivals. They're revered as gods. Um, it's, it's just amazing. We've got a, a short video just about some of the stats on elephants because I just got carried away. I thought this was awesome. So just to show you how powerful they are, uh, we've got a cool, what is this, like a fight movie. It's like rhinos versus elephants or something. It's just a minute, uh, but we'll learn something about it. You'll come away, if nothing else, knowing more about <laughs> elephants. So.
1: The white rhino and the African elephant are two of the largest animals on earth. Their massive bulk adds power to their charge, and they can ram that point home with a four-foot horn or seven-foot tusk. They live side-by-side, but when aggression strikes, the results are often fatal first up with the gray trunks the elephant weighing eight tons and standing 13 feet tall male elephants make mean sparring partners as they fight for dominance or to defend their young bouts are fought with tusk and trunk with more than 100,000 muscles, the trunk is both tool and weapon. This young wildebeest gets a warning swipe. Whoops. <laughs> Yet That's elephants a can right kill a full-grown lion with a single blow. Seven feet long, normally used to dig water holes and strip trees of bark, these tusks can deliver a deadly goring. Elephants can pry open the trunk of a car or stomp it flat like a tin can. Great intelligence sets the great giant apart from his rival, the rhino. But will brains and brawn prove a winning combination?
0: Awesome. All right, so that's a little bit about the strength and power of an elephant. Uh, I love the part at the end where he just takes the tree and knocks it on the rhino's head, you know? It's like... (laughs) I'm an elephant, just go away. Here, look what I can do, you know. it just bobs him over the head with it. elephant. A rhino would look kind of stunned, you know. It's like, well, what do you do to that? You're standing up to a fight and some guy just throws a branch at you. I mean, what do you, how do you respond to that? I'm not really sure either. Um, but the point is, like, all that strength and muscle, I was watching that, and it really just hit home how powerful. Uh, we saw them, I mean, they can kill a lion, they take on rhinos. Um, a rhino, I think, is the most deadly animal in Africa. Um, they knock over trees just to get at the leaves. I mean, it's, you know, I want a snack. Here, let me push this tree over. It's insane. Um, But all of that strength and power, all those muscles that they have, uh, and these trainers that use them and the people that work with them, keep them in place, you'd think, by, you know, electric fences and ropes and chains and shackles and cement walls and barriers and everything like that. Uh, None of that. Um, There are no fences. There are no walls. um, There is no electric shock. Uh, they keep them in place by putting a stick in the ground and tying a rope to their back leg. That's it. A rope. A rope and a stick. Uh, and that's how they keep the elephants from running away. Uh, and I just thought that was uh, amazing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you about that a little bit in a little while, but I just want you to remember that, uh, the elephant being held down by a stick and a rope, right? So um, moving on, right along, uh, society's got a lot of low expectations for our teenagers today. I think that the idea of being a teenager... Um, at least in my experience, was just a a big excuse to not ever grow up. Um, And and, uh, it really holds people back from becoming an adult, uh, I think, um, a lot of times. We've got people now um, that are 25, 30 years old uh, living at home uh, and and not doing anything. I mean, they're just stuck in this adolescent teenager stage, uh, and we're really not doing a whole lot as a a society at, at large. Of pushing them to do more and showing them that they're capable of more. Um, the idea of uh, well, excuse me, <coughs> just to illustrate that, I was a, a salesperson at Lamps Plus Lighting Store. I was in my early 20s, and I, I worked with everybody who was old enough to be my uh, my parent. You know, one of them I think could have been my grandparent, but uh, they were all a lot older than me. And I took the time to know my stuff. Uh, I read all the books, I did all the research, I uh, knew all the products in and out and stuff like that, and just so I could be an expert and earn my right to work on the floor. I started packing boxes, and so I wanted to prove that I was capable. Um, But when people would come into the store, they'd look at me and say, well, where's the lighting expert? What? Getting paid to stand here and talk to you, right here. Uh, But they would always look for the older person. I made almost no sales. I was terrible at the job because nobody would come to me. They were all looking for the older person. And I think that just goes to show that we automatically sometimes have this preconceived notion or this subconscious idea that people younger uh, aren't capable of as much or don't know as much as we do, uh, and that's very wrong. Um, on the slide, I just put a couple things as of, uh, what society views teenagers as, um, but they're seen as troublemakers, uh, quitters, whiny, immature, lazy, disrespectful people. Um, I'm not saying everybody sees them like that, but if you look around and listen to the way that uh, adults and older people and stuff like that are, are talking about teenagers, those are a lot of the words that you're going to hear referenced. Um, the, expect- the expectations of our teenagers uh, today are way lower than I think they've ever been and it just, in my opinion, keeps uh, keeps sinking. Um, as people achieve less, we think less and they just keep achieving less. So no one's going to raise, you know, go above uh, and beyond what the bar is set at. And so uh, they're only going to achieve what what's expected of them. So uh, teenagers... And media, movies, uh, magazines, you name it, are portrayed in large part as being rebellious, um, underachieving, problematic people. And that goes all the way back to um, what's the movie, The Outsiders, I think it is, uh, with like Pony Boy or Lost Boys or something. I can't remember the name of the movie, but uh, was what? The out- oh, I'm getting both. Okay, anyway, well, moving on. The Outsiding Lost Boys. Um, but you, but to look back all the way into, like, James Dean and Elvis and stuff like that, it's not just today, but it's been for quite a while um, that this rebellious, good-for-nothing kind of uh, mentality has been persisting in our media and our movies and things like that. And I think it's trickled down uh, to the way that we think. Um, it's important to know, like, I, I found this cool stat, and it said that uh, in 1970... Uh, or 70 years ago, excuse me, in a Reader's Digest magazine, it was the first documented case of, uh, of, a, of the word teenager being used to describe this new social group. Um, and I just thought that that was kind of crazy because we grow up and we think that this is the way things have always been, right? Because that's just what we've heard growing up. That's, we don't know different, and so we just take for granted that that's always been the case. But it's really been a new idea in modern history, the idea of the teenager. Um, there were some young people, for example, in history. There was my favorite was a guy named David, um, not the one who slayed Goliath, although that's also uh, amazing. He did what an entire Israelite army couldn't do. Um, he went out there as a young guy and, and slayed the giant. Um, but David Barton uh, or David uh, Farragut, rather, he uh, at ten years old uh, became a cadet in the United States Navy. Uh, I think it was, what's it say here? At 11 years old, he was in his first battle. And at 12 years old, he took command of a captured ship uh, and was tasked with getting its captured British crew back to the United States with just a detachment of men. Um, I thought this was amazing. He was 12 years old. He's on his way back with the, captured, uh, with the captured crew. It's just him and, you know, just a small group of guys that are with him on the high seas. And out of respect for the, for the captured captain, they let him keep his guns. And I think we've learned better over history. That's not a good idea. But the captured the British captain, he took issue with being bossed around by a 12-year-old, his enemy, to make things even worse. And so he declared that he was going to go down deck, grab his pistols, come up and take command of his ship. Well, the 12-year-old heard this, and he sent one of his guys down. And he said, you tell him that if he comes up on this deck, I'll have him shot, thrown overboard, and we'll just continue without him. Well, needless to say, the British guy, the captain, he just uh, decided to stay below deck. So that was amazing. But a 12-year-old in command of a vessel uh, during wartime with prisoners of war on board, um, this older man, an experienced naval captain, the British at the time were the seagoing power in the world, um, they definitely knew what they were go- doing. The American Navy was a ragtag bunch with no experience, and that makes it all the more incredible that this 12-year-old stood up to a, to a seasoned veteran and said, if you come up here on my boat, I'll just shoot you and throw you overboard. It's as simple as that. I don't care how old or experienced you are. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, the next one was Clara... Uh, she was uh, around the same time period she was only 10 years old or she was the youngest child in her family by 10 years she was so terrified of people that she couldn't speak and would often just pass out of fear and so <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the video of the fainting goats uh, but when you scare them they've got this genetic thing when you scare them they just kind of tip over kind of what I picture her doing you know you go hey how are you doing yeah, just hit the ground. Um, But she, at 11 years old, she took over the full-time nursing care of her crippled brother. Um, That lasted for two years. She became a teacher and taught up to 40 people at a time, some of them as old as she was. Um, She went on, uh, her name was Clara Barton, she went on to be the founder of the American Red Cross. Um, So them, and and of course, like I mentioned, David in the Bible slaying Goliath, going up with just a rock when there was an entire army of fully grown men with weapons, um, swords, spears, and armor. Uh, just three examples of, uh, of young people that did incredible things by today's standards uh, simply because society expected nothing less of them. So, um, And those are just three examples. I was just watching the news the other day and there was a young kid uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who did a can drive and it was just... It's amazing that every time as a young kid, you know, the five-year-old will call 911 and save his mom or something like that. This is like headline, feel-good breaking news, put it in the papers and all over primetime television news um, because it's its so miraculous right now. But it used to be the very, you know, the norm. So those are just a couple examples. But today we see teens more of a burden, I think, uh, instead of a blessing. Um, we We say all of the time that you can do anything that you want but there often isn't a whole lot to back that up Um, companies you can look at it and you know we recognize I think the power that teenagers have and I think sometimes it scares us but one example that I could think of 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 the knowledge uh, that we've got of the potential that our young people have is in marketing Um, teenagers are the most sought after demographic in the country or in the world probably Um, the spending power uh, that teenagers have surpasses everybody else. Um, companies all over the place uh, spend millions upon millions of dollars marketing to young people to get them to want their stuff. Um, companies realize that they're gonna live and die uh, based on what teenagers say, what they like, uh, what they recommend, and what they're gonna go and buy. If a teenager wants something, either they're gonna buy it, they're gonna get their parents to buy it, um, so on. So. I heard a laugh. It's like, ah, oh, the parent's buying it. Um, but the sad thing is, right, that we they have influence to change the world or they wouldn't be spending millions of dollars the bulk of their marketing campaigns on teenagers and trying to get their attention. So we all know that, uh, that teenagers have this power, but the sad thing is it's being all locked up, right? We're not really doing anything to help enable that or, or to empower them. Um, and so I wanted, I was just thinking about that rope that was holding that elephant in place. And to me, that rope is the way that we restrict... The abilities of our teens um, There should be a slide on that There we go. Um, there were a couple stats I found There was a poll that said that mothers spend an average of two minutes a day uh, With their teenagers And I think when they did this They were saying that this is actual dedicated one-on-one in-depth time Not just, well, I'm in the house eight hours a day You know, we all know that that's not spending time So an average of two minutes a day Fathers spend an average of 30 seconds a day with their teenagers at large. 33% of parents polled said that if they could have kids again, they wouldn't do it. 53% of parents said that they resent their children. Those are statistics of what's going on today. Um, We tell people, or not people, we tell our kids over and over again that actions speak louder than words. And they listen to us, you know. Whether we think it or not, like... Teenagers hear everything that we say, sometimes better than you know people our own age, I think, hear us. They really do listen to everything. They might not appear to, but that stuff's going to stick to you. I can remember insults um, or negative things that my dad said to me not meaning to, not meaning to hurt my feelings, but 20-some years later, I can still remember the day, the place, and the time like it happened yesterday. That stuff sticks with young people. Um, And so when we tell people that action, when we tell... Young people, that actions speak louder than words. They hear us, and our actions as a society are telling them that we don't care. And I know that we in this room and in this church, I've seen it, aren't like that. We're not those statistics I'd like to believe. Um, I know that Pastor Mark and Miss Kristen such a blessing to be here because they really believe they invest everything that they possibly can whenever they can into the youth group. And I know that all of you as parents, Driving them, you know, I see you guys dropping them off and waiting outside because we went late or because, you know, your son or daughter wants to just hang out afterwards and it's hot outside and you just wait. You know, there aren't people running into youth group every Wednesday night saying, come on, we got to go. And so I know that in, us in this room aren't like this, that we do care. Um, And I just wanted to highlight society because even if it's not your own teenager, it's the teenager down the street or in your classroom or at your work or wherever it may be, that these are the statistics impacting them. There are plenty of people, probably in most cases, even their own parents, that are giving them the idea that they don't care, that they're not cared about. Um, For most of human history, there were only two types of people. There were either children or there were adults. Um, Puberty was historically what marked the move from child to adulthood, but like I said earlier, now we've got like 25, 30, it's growing 35-year-old people, grown adults that are just living at home, still living off their parents, not having jobs, working part-time at McDonald's maybe, not in college, you know, not doing much. Um, And we've got to ask ourselves, is it their fault or are we just not asking enough of them? Are we not doing enough to, uh, you know, to unleash their potential and to and to take that rope off of them? Um, (coughs) I just, <laughs> I got choked up when I when I preached this. Uh, I gave us, oh, thank you, bless you. Um, it just, it means so much to me, you know, it's, I've got to be careful. In my mind, it took me a long time to prepare this because I probably had six pages uh, of stuff. I just believe so deeply uh, in what our teenagers can do. Um, it, it's amazing, but um, just real quick, I want to go back. I said I'd go back and kind of wrap up that story, the elephant that's being held in place. Uh, I just want to read to you because I can read it to you from here better than I can uh, remember it. Um, But I just want to read you the explanation for that. It's amazing. It's kind of unbelievable that an elephant would be held in place by a rope, but this is going to explain it. So this is how it works. It says here that when the elephant is still young, his owner takes him from his mother and shackles him to a large tree with a heavy chain around his right hind leg. For days and weeks, the young elephant will strain and pull, trying to break free. But all he succeeds in doing is causing the shackle to cut deep into his leg. Eventually, he gives up and accepts the idea that he can't go anywhere when there is something around his right hind leg. Soon, the owner can replace the tree with a post and the chain with a piece of twine. Once the elephant feels resistance, he stops. And there's nothing but a piece of twine around his ankle, but there are heavy shackles around his mind. And when I read that, I couldn't help but think that our teenagers are that elephant. There is nothing holding back the potential of America's youth and the youth of the world except for the misconception that they're not capable. It's it's nothing but a piece of twine holding them from their potential, keeping them from all that God has in store for them. But in their minds, because of conditioning, they think that it's this immovable object that they cannot overcome and they just give up. At the first rejection of an application for a job, they quit looking for months. At the first grade that's not perfect, they give up and start going into remedial classes. The first disappointment or the first letdown they feel, a lot of times they'll just give up and go into depression and just quit trying. And there's no reason for it. There really isn't. It's not. We're not putting these bonds, we're not putting these ties on our kids. But from a young age... And I don't know where it starts. I assume you know, it's different for everybody um, in, in large part. But when they get to the age of a teenager, there's just something in them that thinks that I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I've made too many mistakes. And so <clears throat> I think that, uh, well, I know that our teenagers are extremely powerful. They have a uh, full of energy. But we see it all the time. Now we put kids on Ritalin and stuff like that. And some of them need it. I'm not discounting that. I'm not up here to try to be a doctor and say that that's all worthless. But uh, I think that there are a lot of cases where kids have just got energy and they don't know what to do with it. And we just want them to sit down and be quiet and make their bed and go to school. And so we're going to medicate them and just make them mellow out because we're not comfortable. And we don't know how to deal with that. They're bright. It said that teenagers are not afraid to fail. We see that all the time. Let me jump off this roof. That'll be cool. You know.
1: <laughs>
0: we think of it like, well, what if I don't land right? It'll be, no, no, teenagers don't think about that. They're just like, hey, let's do it. I'll tuck and roll. I sprain my ankle. It's okay. It'll heal. Try it again. I'll know to tuck better. You know. Uh, they're not afraid to fail. They'll take risks. That could be a dangerous thing. That could be a great thing if we partner with them and show them what to do. They're willing to explore, do new things. It's, it's learning. We see babies all the time. They'll put anything in their mouth. I mean, why? Because they're not afraid. They don't know yet. They're not conditioned. They're not boxed in with, these society's, rule, you know, with society's rules telling them where to go and where not to go, to talk quiet or to not say this, to not say that. They're, they're willing to try it. They're willing to go out there. They're willing to step out of the bounds a little bit and test things. Um. It's, it's our low expectations, I think. I see it all the time. You know, I'm, I'm really observant. I notice all kinds of weird things when I go into rooms, when I'm at a restaurant, stuff like that. I just, I don't know what it is. I just see all kinds of stuff. When I see people interacting with their kids, it's, I don't see so much praise as I see, don't do that, don't do this. Don't go over there. Sit down. Especially with boys, I see it. You know, we were walking through the through a furniture store yesterday, and there was this little boy, and he just there was these massive, fluffy couches. And I'll tell you what, if I was younger and thought I could have got away with it, I'd have jumped on one too. But this little boy's running through this furniture store, and it's like a playland for this kid because he can jump on everything and not get hurt. And so he goes, he's running down the hallway or down the aisle, and he jumps on the couch, and all I hear is his dad from behind him. He's "Hi." Hey, Get over there! Stop jumping! Well, he's, well, there's no one around him. He's not hurting it. He didn't even have shoes on, you know. But it's, it's a lot of times, and I, and I don't know, I'm not saying that's wrong, you know. I'm not going to pretend I don't have any kids. Um, <laughs> that's good news. Um, I, I don't have kids, you know. I'm not here to condemn anybody and stuff like that. I'm just asking that we take a look at what we say, what's really needed, um, and what negative impact might we inadvertently have uh, on our kids by, by trying to corral them so much um, amen, amen, absolutely, so, to break the rope, um I've just got a couple of things and then and then we'll close, but uh I figure you know I wanted to call attention to the, what I see as an issue, what I see is as a, a huge disservice to our young people. But then, what do we do to to break it? So to break that rope, to break that piece of twine off of them, I think they're going to need help because that elephant, you know, when it's got the piece of twine, it's already no, you know, it, in its mind, it can't break free. So asking them to break free is kind of pointless because in their mind, they're already defeated. So you know, if I, if I think I can't do it, you telling me to go and do it is not going to do a whole lot. You know, in my mind, I'm already defeated. So why even attempt the battle? So it's going to take us going and partnering with them and physically cutting that rope for them um, in a lot of cases and then coaching them along and helping. We've got to break those shackles off of them and reverse that damage that's been done. Um, And so there's just a few ways of doing that. Uh, The first, I said, was uh, God has a place for everyone. God has a place for everyone, even teenagers. (laughs) Sometimes we're like, I don't know. They could just play their game and that'll be all right. But God does have a place for everyone. First Corinthians twelve twenty one through twenty six says this. Uh, First Corinthians, bless you. First Corinthians twelve verse twenty one says the eye. Uh, yeah, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If no part is, if one part is honored. Every part rejoices with it. And this is, of course, referencing us as a body of Christ. And even beyond that, because I don't like to draw a distinction between the body in Christ and the body of unbelievers. Um, I don't think that's right. But us as a body, as God's body, if we just expand that into all of God's creation, everybody, whether they want to believe it or not, are sons and daughters of God. And if we want to expand it to that great length, then we have to believe that God has ordained and, and established every single person in every season of their life right where He wants them to be. And so to cut out teenagers is not as valuable as going against the very Word of God. Um, to treat them as second-class citizens or to think that we can do it without them is, is naive, I think, if I could just use that word. Because it, it says here very clearly that if one part is honored, all are honored. We can't do it... Um, by ourselves, if we cut off one part of the body, every part suffers. Um, everything and every person at every age has got something valuable to, live, you know, to offer us. Um, I've seen small kids pray over people and have them healed because the kid believed, and the adults were too bound by their own conceptions and their own past experiences to do it. It took a child. If we were to say to that child, sit down, you haven't gone through enough, you don't know, you don't understand Or that's not the right way, people would never get healed. We have a a responsibility, though, because God has placed everything right where He wants, to guide the younger parts of the body. Um, You think about puberty, and when you grow up, I grew about an inch a month for a short time. And when your body grows that fast, your brain doesn't know what to do with it. And so you're, you know, bumping into things and walking around all funny and stuff like that. My sister used to run into walls all the time. That was amusing. I'm the oldest, you know, I'm the oldest of four kids. And so I just, I loved that kind of thing. That was just hilarious. But her brain and her, I don't know, her eyes didn't know how to tell her feet. And it was just hilarious. There was one part, it was just a thin section of wall separated the living room from the hallway. And I'll tell you, every time she went down the hallway, boom. Is right into the wall, so we've got to. There's there's younger parts of the body that that maybe aren't quite functioning exactly as they should, and we as the head, we as the more experienced parts need to help guide that and say no, hand, come here, you know this way, this way. I'm not going to cut you off. You're not no good, but you know maybe you shouldn't be grabbing at that hot pot. That's probably not a smart idea. So let me show you where to go. Um, the second point was that teens aren't a threat. Teenage is not the threat. Um, I think sometimes we're threatened by the energy. Uh, we're threatened by the ideas and their way of thinking, their way of operating that we don't understand. Uh, and it's uncomfortable. It really is. Um, it's hard to bend when you're used to doing things one way for a long time to have some kid who, I mean, rightly so, you deserve a lot of respect. Um, we, we do as, as older people, and I say that is still a fairly young person. Um, but the older you get, I do believe that you do deserve a lot of respect. And it might be hard to humble yourself and think that, you know, your 18-year-old boss (laughs) might have a good idea or or a better way of doing things. Um, But it really is humbling. The Louis Armstrong song came to my mind. Um, I don't know why. I think it was God because I didn't really have this in my head at all. But uh, I said, okay, we'll go with it. But the Louis Armstrong said this. It says uh, in his song, What a Wonderful World, there's a, a verse there. It says, I hear babies cry, I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And how amazing would it be if we all could humble ourselves and have that mentality of of recognizing, especially in this day and age where information is so easy to come by, it's really effortless to get, you know, information right now with the internet and mobile phones that can access the internet and all kinds of stuff. Um, if we could humble ourselves and realize that you know, a lot of these young people, teenagers and stuff, you might see them as babies. My mom still calls me her baby. You know, it, it embarrasses the heck out of me. I'm 29, man. Just leave me alone, Mom. You know, but, um, but, you know, they'll always be your babies. Um, they'll always be younger than you. But if we could keep this, this song in, in mind, that you're going to watch them grow, they'll learn much more than you'll ever know just because of everything that's out there because technolo- you know, technology has advanced um, a lot. But just think to yourself, what a wonderful world. Um, They're they're not here to take over. They're not here to, you know, replace our government with anarchy and things like that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) amen. If teenagers ran the country, I don't know what we'd do. Um, We could ask for their input, but they definitely need our guidance. But um, their knowledge and their way of doing things and their energy is not a threat. Um, It it really does make the world a wonderful place. Uh, And I think that we need to embrace that, right? Um, We need to... Give them a positive outlet. Our teenagers are literally, in a lot of cases, dying to express themselves. Um, it, it, it's, it's tragic. Um, but they want to express themselves. Um, there's poems all across the Internet if you go about depressed teens. Um, it's hard to find uplifting stuff. Uh, most of it's about tragedy. Most of it's about depression because they don't know where to go. Uh, they don't know how to release that. Um, a lot A lack of positive ways to express themselves is going to result itself in what we see today, and its ne- negative expressions. Uh, those are things like drug abuse, alcohol addiction, um, rebellion, uh, pregnancy, um, all kinds of stuff, suicide. Like I mentioned, uh, if they don't have anywhere good to go, they're going to use that energy somewhere. Um, and uh, and right now, a lot of times the only recourse they have is not good. It's bad. You know. So if I don't have a positive way to do it, well, I'm going to get attention somehow. And that manifests itself in horrible ways. So, what we need to do is uh, realize they're not a threat, embrace their, uh, their potential, and give them a positive outlet. Um, I think that if you take 15 minutes, or not even 15 minutes, I think take an hour uh, and sit down with a teenager uh, and really engage them and listen to what's on their heart, pose a question, let them answer it and figure it out, have discourse with them, I think you'll be incredibly amazed at how deep they are. Um, I... I It'll, it'll surprise you. It surprises me. Uh, everything that they have to say uh, about all kinds of topics. Uh, not just the, the superficial stuff, but everywhere. Um, so have that conversation. Devote some time to actually engage them. Uh, and, you know, don't end arguments. If I could, I just threw this in here. But, uh, you know, don't, don't end an argument if you can by saying, you know, because I said so. Um, you know, don't 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 throw at him. I used to be told, you know, you better move out now while you still know everything. You know, it's probably not the most constructive way to do things. You know, you might be very right, right? You you probably are very right. Your point probably is very valid. But just because you're being questioned, you know, I, I think that it's just natural sometimes to to take offense uh, and to get defensive. Um, but instead of you know lashing out negatively to explain that, like, I think the heart of a teenager is really to learn. Uh, is to do trial by error they 're going to question because they don 't know um, it 's not always because they hate you or because they don 't want to follow any rules, although sometimes I admit that is the case um, but i I, re- I really think that in their heart of hearts they 're just trying to figure out this doesn 't make any sense to me why you know why is this and uh explaining that to them, having that sit down, asking why they don 't understand and things like that is going to go a long way um, lastly. Uh, It was that teenagers need someone to believe in them. Teenagers need someone to believe in them. Uh, I see it all the time in youth ministry. Um, I've seen it growing up, uh, the oldest of four kids. Um, I've seen it in my friends, uh, in my families, you know, everywhere. uh, That teenagers are really looking for somebody to partner with them. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 Proverbs 22.6 says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. And I just think of how many times, like how much stuff did my dad know that I didn't learn? It's a lot of stuff, you know. How much stuff did your father know that he didn't teach you? Um, Or your mother, how much did she know um, that she never passed on to you? Um, It says very clearly, you know, to train a child in the way that they should go. Um, I think that if society is letting their kids just go crazy and do all kinds of stuff and be rebellious, that maybe their parents, the people in authority over them, aren't showing them a, the way to go. You know, maybe it's going to take more than just the. As a mom and dad, you know, I, I can attest to this. My mom or my dad would say something, and I'd dismiss it, but somebody else, my my friend's mom or dad, would come and say something, the exact same thing, and all of a sudden it was this amazing revelation. It's like, thank you, that is good. Why? You know, my mom and dad are sitting over there like, I, Seriously? <laughs> Five times I told you that. Really? You know, there's something weird about about not, having it not be your son or daughter that you can get through to them. So I encourage you not only to reach out to your own child, um, but to reach out to the people that are around you as well. Because you're going to get through a lot. Maybe there's not that barrier all of a sudden, you know. It's a really weird thing. And I don't know what it is, but, um, you know, but it, it's amazing what you can do when you reach out. Mentor somebody. You know, teach them everything that you can. Share your past experiences. Share your mistakes. We've been washed clean. We've been renewed. Everything that was bad has been made good. And if we believe that, then why are we so ashamed and why do we hide so much all of our failings? You know, I stood up in front of the youth group and I told them every. I read a, a letter that I had made and that pointed out every single thing, every traumatic thing I had experienced in my life. And I wasn't ashamed of it because I know it's a tool. That everything I've gone through, they're going through and they can learn from it and they can be encouraged by knowing that I've gone through it and I've, you know, look at me now, look at what I've done now. Um, So don't be ashamed of your past. Spend more than a couple minutes with them. You know, we saw those statistics. Um, If you know a person like that, and chances are, if you've got a teenager, if you've ever, if you've just ever come in contact with a teenager, there's at least one person, I guarantee it, every single person in this room can think of someone right now in their head. That that is suffering you know they need somebody uh, and I encourage you you know that they're getting maybe that two minutes or that 30 seconds a day uh, at home or from the people that are over them reach out to them reach out to them if you've got a teenager you know the both of you go up and invite them out you know if you're taking if you're going out take them out too spend some time train them up show them the way that they will go um, encourage them that they're more than their past uh, you know they're stronger than they think and they need help, like I said, to realize that that rope, uh, you know, is not a chain. Uh, that the shackles around their minds are are invisible. Uh, you know, but you've got to show them otherwise. You've got to believe in them enough to push them forward, and to, and to, you know, dangle that carrot out in front of them uh, and say, "Come on, you know, come on." I, I know what it's like. I had a chain around. Look at these are my scars, uh, and I moved past that, and I'm roaming free now, and I'm living in the power of God, and I'm moving into the things that He's done. Um, And they'll follow you. They will. Um, You know, I think about girls getting pregnant uh, all the time, guys getting into fights, committing crimes, um, staying out late, crashing cars, drinking, you know, taking drugs. Um, They want so badly someone to follow that they'll follow anyone. That's right. They really will. No matter what, it doesn't matter if it's going to lead to destruction or not. They haven't had the past experience that tells them if I go down this road, it's going to end with me falling off the cliff and and seriously injuring myself and losing everything. They don't know that yet. We've done that. We've driven off the you know we've driven off the edge and we've hit rock bottom and you know we've we've crashed into those uh, proverbial trees and we know what the consequences are. But a lot of times they don't realize it. And if we're not there to stand in the gap. As Christian men and women who love young people, and I know that those of us in this room, like I said, love young people. Um, I love this church because of its investment in young people. It's just evident, you know, in, in everything uh, that I do here, in um, the time that I've spent here. It's evident in the people uh, that come every Wednesday night, time and time again. You know, I think we had the tornadoes, and if that was on a Wednesday, they'd have probably been there. Um, I told them they'd be by themselves because I live in Dallas and I wasn't going to come. But uh, they would have been there. And I know that because they're, they're growing up in good Christian homes um, with men and women that believe in them, with a church body that believes in them. I tell them all the time, if you're not here on Sundays, you're missing out. Um, because I know and I see just the desire in the room to, to really partner with them uh, and to help them along and to be that community, to be that village uh, that doesn't let them just go on their way. So uh, I just encourage you uh, to to take some time with them, uh, you know. Like I said, show them the way, train them up, because even when they get older, they won't turn from it. Uh, says the Word of God, and so um, that's it. I just want to uh, pray for you. Just kind of wrap it all up in a prayer, and and I hope that uh, you guys are encouraged and not discouraged. Um, that's just really heavy on my heart. Uh, I told I told the youth group. I said, you know, sometimes I, I can't just preach a, a joking, comical, you know, sermon with a bunch of goofy illustrations and things like that, but uh, it's really because I have a heart to see change made and I don't think that's done when you go into a circus, you know. Um, The Word of God is powerful. We're living in in trying times and so um, my heart is never to discourage anyone, uh, but God puts things on my heart that weigh heavy and uh, my job, I hope, is to communicate that and and hopefully, you know, show some ways that we can correct it as men and women of God. Um, So, Father God... I pray, Jesus, that You would uh, open our eyes, Father, that You would put young people in our lives, God, that You would put them in our paths and that we would see them with Your eyes and with Your heart. God, that we would partner with them, Father, and take our knowledge that we have through You, God, and the the knowledge that comes from Your Word, Father, to, to correct the ills of society, to correct, God, the wrong perceptions that we've placed on teenagers god and when i say we I just mean society at large father we are the body of christ father we are your sons and daughters and we walk in your light with your knowledge may we take that with us everywhere we go god and be light bearers god and shining examples to to our friends and family god to our our peers that they need to do something different with teenagers god may we just have a heart and uh and listen for the cries of the teenagers god that are out there and partner with them to show them the way, Father. Use our experiences to guide them and to train them. I just break off right now in the name of Jesus all the ropes and chains that are holding the young people of this of this uh, area and this country, Father God of this world. Just break those ropes and chains off their minds right now, God. We take scissors right now in the Spirit, Father, to all those Jesus. We set them free, God, and we say, Follow us, Lord God. Jesus, just send us out, Father. Partner people. I pray that young people would come up to each of us, God, and ask for help, Jesus. I pray that we would see the need, God, and that we would feel that. That we would fill it, Jesus, with them, God, and that we would see growth and health, God, and and just that our lives also would be enriched by the emporing of knowledge and and energy that young people have to offer us. It's a two-way street, God. As we give, we receive from them, Father. We don't close our eyes or our minds to anything that they would have to offer either. But we empower them, God, to go further, to think more. Jesus, to accomplish every great and incredible thing that You have already put in their path and set set in front of them to do. May we have a hand in helping them and seeing them accomplish that. In Your name, God. Amen.